Morning, everybody. How we doing? Much better. First service was like, good morning. You guys slept in, got some coffee. It's good to have you here today. Thanks for being at the journey, uh, especially if this is your first time here. When We love when first-time people come and hang out with us, so we're glad that you're with us today. If this is your first time here, but I do want to do one thing. I want to welcome somebody to our journey family. A little photo here of the Pasminos. Maybe you didn't see that this week. Yep. So this is Joel, if you're new, this is Joel, our associate pastor, and his wife, Megan, uh, added Julia Elizabeth Pasmino on Tuesday. Uh, as you can tell, Jack's already upset that he's number two now in the pecking order in their family. But uh, from what I understand, everybody's doing well. Uh, I talked to Joel on Thursday, and he's like, hey, over the last three days, I think I've slept four hours. So uh, that's the way it is, right? You just got to suck it up for a little bit. But um, but congrats to them, and uh, don't forget that uh, he's on paternity leave or family leave for the next few weeks, and he'll be back at the end of November. But we're excited for these guys. Keep them in, in your prayers. I actually want to take you back to my middle school years. I went to Middle Springs Middle School, uh, which I totally forgot were the Bulldogs, but I guess we were the Bulldogs, in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And um, when I was in eighth grade, I had this group of four guys that we would eat lunch together with every single day. Now, we were middle school boys, and so we came up with a middle school boy game uh, while we were there because, you know, you got like 20, 25 minutes, you eat your food, you're done, you got to entertain yourselves. The game was that inevitably every single day someone would leave the lunch line, they would walk to their table, but they would drop some food, usually a french fry. And so our middle school game was to watch and see who would actually step on that french fry, right? And so when somebody would step on it or whatever food it was, we'd start dying laughing hysterically. And, and if someone missed, it's like, oh, they almost hit it. And, you know, we kind of keep a score, score, we'd laugh, and it was time to leave, and everything was fine. This one day, the cafeteria floor was clean. There was nary a piece of food anywhere on the ground. And so one of the guys said, well, how can we play our game if there's no food out there? He took a French fry and he throws it out onto the floor and thus began our game again. Now, I do not remember the names of any of my teachers in middle school. And it wasn't because I didn't have great teachers. I had some really great teachers. I probably just old age. I just had forgotten. But I remember Miss Wyckoff. And Miss Wyckoff, the reason I remembered her, she was the cafeteria lunch monitor. And she was scary. She scared us kids and she scared the adults too, right? This was just kind of her moniker. This is who she was. Well, Miss Wyckoff comes from her corner. She shoots over to our table, and she's like, hey, I saw what you guys did. Someone needs to pick up that french fry. We all denied it. What are you talking about? We didn't do that. She's like, no, I, I saw you with my own eyes. I saw what you did, and I need you to pick it up. And again, we still denied it. We were like, we don't know what you're talking about. We didn't do that. We're not going to pick it up. And this went on for about, I don't know, 45 seconds to a minute. And then finally, Miss Wyckoff says, all right, guys. All right, that's fine if that's what you want to do. Principal's office, and we sit in this little waiting room for each one of us to talk to the principal. All I can think is like, oh, my goodness, what, what, what are my parents going to say? Or even better yet, hey, when I get home, what are my parents going to do to me when they find out? Or what are the next 50 years in prison going to look like because I've gone against authority, and this is what happens when you go against authority. And so all these things are going on in my mind. But thankfully, one of the guys who wasn't known to have the best character in the world, he... Uh, 
He confessed and said he did it, and so we never saw or heard from him ever again. He's gone. He's... <laughs> now, I think he got a day suspension, and then he could come back, but, uh, but thankfully he confessed. But as I was thinking about this, this passage we're going to read today, as I think about where we are, talking about the Holy Spirit, I, I, I began to understand something. I began to think back and like, hey, so many times there are words we say where our actions don't connect. And, and when that happens, there are definitely consequences that we face. And so today, as we continue this series called It, that's what we're going to talk about. Now, if you haven't been with us over the course of this series, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're looking at the Holy Spirit as we find it and its power uh, in the book of Acts, in the first part of Acts. Uh, Jesus has come and, and died and uh, came back to life through God, was on earth for 40 days, and then goes back to be with God. And so here you have these people that have been following Jesus. And now the Holy Spirit has been given to them. And so they have the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to live out the mission of Jesus, to continue to tell more and more people about Jesus, to spread the story of Jesus throughout the world. And so we've been looking at all these events that have taken place since Jesus went back into heaven. Well, today we're going to look at this passage again where we see these words and actions when they don't mesh together there are consequences for the people in the story, but I think we can learn something about ourselves and know that when our words and actions don't fit, there are consequences for us too. Well, we're going to start at the end of Acts chapter 4. We're going to spend uh, a little bit of time there, but most of our time in Acts chapter 5. But in Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 32, here's what we read. It says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy person among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Let me give you a little context here of what we have happening in this uh, early church stage. Um, Week two, we talked about this Pentecost moment. Now, Pentecost was a festival that the Israelites celebrated together. It was one of the three main festivals. And so if you were a Jewish male, you were really expected to be at these three festivals, which meant if you came, then you would bring your family with you. And so the population of Jerusalem would expand tremendously. Hundreds of thousands of people would be there in that area. Now, if we go back to what we talked about week two, and if you missed it, you can go back and listen to it. But we, we talked about how they get the power of the Holy Spirit, and you've got these 120 people, and they start speaking these different languages. You've got all these pilgrims from all over the known world that are there. They're hearing their own language, where they're from, being spoken. And so they're experiencing these incredible miracles, right? They're hearing these messages from people like Peter, and, and thousands and thousands of people are starting to follow Jesus. They're becoming baptized. We talked last week about a miracle that took place. I mean, all of this is happening. And so you could just imagine what they're experiencing. Guess what? They don't want to go home. Like They, they want to stay right there because of everything they're seeing. And what they believe is going to happen is that Jesus is going to come back imminently. Like, not 2,000 years not 200 years, not 20 years, maybe not even in 20 days, like 20 hours may be too long. They just believe that Jesus is coming back. And so they're expectantly waiting for Jesus to come back, right, to set this kingdom as it's supposed to be. And so this means over time, as more and more days pass, as more and more weeks pass, 
Like, they don't have all the money they need to stay there. They planned for this trip. And so they've got the money they need. They've got a place to stay for as long as they need. They've got the clothes that they need. But beyond that, they don't have anything. It's because their jobs, their homes, their incomes are somewhere else. But I love this about this early church because what do they do? Like, we got to help. And so you got people who live there in Jerusalem and that surrounding area. They start selling their property. They start selling their houses. And the money that they get from that, they go and they take it to the apostles who then make sure that everybody gets what they need. It's really kind of this welfare system that's in place. And for the most part, it works really, really well. Now, if you keep reading in Acts, you're going to find that there's some issues with it. But we're not going to talk about that part today. But then there's this unique story that we read about here after Acts chapter 4. Acts 5, 1 says this, But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. What have I told you about that word but when it shows up in Scripture? That's a big old but, right? That means that something really, really big is getting ready to happen. That you had one thing that took place, but that word but there means something is getting ready to happen that we really need to pay attention to. And we see that here in chapter 5 of Acts. We're getting ready to see something big happen based on what we just read. Well, what do we have here? We've got Ananias and Sapphira. They have some property. They sell it. They bring the proceeds to the apostles, or so it seems. Verse 2. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. What we have happening here is that Ananias and Sapphira, they sell this property, and they sell it for one amount. But then they go to these church leaders and they said, hey, this is what we sold this property for. Now, it was actually a different amount than they sold it for. And they said, this is what we sold it for. And now we're going to give you all of these proceeds to help all these people in need. They're doing exactly what we read there in Acts chapter 4. They're claiming that this is what they sold it for. And these are the proceeds from it. But they kept some for themselves. Verse 3. And Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young man got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. Peter says here, like, hey, you, you sold your property for actually this, this amount. And, and what you've done is you've kept some of it for yourself. But you didn't have to do that. You could have just said, hey, here's this portion of money. And we're just going to give it to the church. And you guys use it however you need to meet the needs of the people that are here. The people that need food, that need clothing, that need some money. Whatever it may be, use this. And here's Peter saying, you didn't do that. Now, Peter says, you didn't lie to us, but yeah, he did. Ananias lied to him. But, but as Peter says, more importantly, you lied to the Holy Spirit and you lied to God. This is where it's kind of hard for us to fully grasp or even, I don't know, even comprehend or connect with this, this story. Because Ananias hears these words and what happens to him? He dies. 
He falls over dead. Now, what does he die of? More than likely, he dies of a heart attack. Because can you imagine, you show up, and, and it's probably not just him and Peter in some room somewhere. It's, it's probably him and Peter and some of the other apostles and maybe a group of other leaders and other people that are there. And so here's Ananias, who's, who's already set up this plan, right? He and Sapphira, they're going to deceive the church. Now, really, they're deceiving more than that, the Holy Spirit and God. But they, they're like, hey, this is what we're going to do. And so he shows up like, hey, we sold this place for this much. Here's all the proceeds from that. And he's expecting something else in return. He's not expecting what Peter says. And Peter says, here's what happened. Here's what you have done. And as soon as he hears this, my guess is it's the shock of being caught. It's the shock of all these people are there listening to him. And oh, by the way, these people that are there, more than likely, they know Ananias and Sapphira. Like they're locals. They're connected to them. Uh, there's friendships that are there. So you've got this huge group of people, or this group of people, it may not have been huge, but you've got this group of people who are listening to you lie. And that shock hits, and we find that Ananias dies. And as we see this, as we read it, it talks about this terror beginning to spread throughout the church because of what they've experienced here. But that's not the end of the story, right? Look at verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in. They probably gave him a board position. He's probably in charge of the money now. I mean, honestly, she's probably thinking all these things in her mind. But, but Ananias hasn't come home in three hours. So she goes, and she's like, hey, like, where's Ananias? And again, in her mind, he's probably like, hey, he's got, you know, they probably gave him some throne, and he's sitting on some big chair, and he's a really important person. But he gets there, she gets there, and I'm guessing what she's expecting to receive from the people that are there is not what she gets. And that's because of what Peter says to her in verse 8. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Uh, yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this. The young men who buried your husband just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Now I want you to think about this a second. If we go back to Ananias, Ananias never had a chance to respond, right? Ananias, Peter's like, here's the accusations. Ananias hears that, and boom, he just falls over dead. Here's Sapphira, and Peter is giving her a second chance. He's giving her an opportunity. He's like, you're right. We lied. I'm sorry. We shouldn't have done that, but that's not what she does. She continues along with that lie. And what happens to her? Verse 10, instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. The exact same thing that happened to Ananias three hours prior happened to Sapphira too. And what's the outcome of this? Look at verse 11. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. I talked about that word just a second ago. There's the word terrified that's there. In this verse here, in verse 11, we have the word fear. It's the same Greek word. It's the Greek word phobos, and that's where we get our word phobia from. So what we see here is that this event is causing some pretty strong emotions in this new thing called the church, right? They're terrified. There's this fear. There's this really this awe of everything that's happening because only something like the Holy Spirit could have moved in in such a way to, to have happen what just took place here with Ananias and Sapphira. But why was that? Well, the reason was they 
they saw this couple that many of them knew and were connected to and probably had relationships with. They were probably good friends. And, and they heard them say, because Ananias and Sapphira are probably like many of them. They're new followers of Jesus, too. And so here they are. They're these new followers, and they're saying, hey, this is what we believe. This is what's important. We want to follow Jesus. And yet, what do we see? Their actions are very different than their words. Their actions are very different than what they say they believe. And because of that, there are these incredible consequences for them. I love the way Dallas Willard puts it in Divine Conspiracy. He says, we must face the fact that human beings can honestly profess to believe what they do not believe. They may do this for so long that even they no longer know that they do not believe what they profess. But their actions will, of course, be in terms of what they actually believe. And you read that a hundred times, and it doesn't change, right? That what he writes here is so, so true that we as humans have this frighteningly powerful ability to say that we believe in something, that this is who we are, and this is what we're going to follow. But the, the flip side of that is that our actions way too often do not connect with the words that we say, that our actions do not connect with what we say that we believe. And so as we see Ananias and Sapphira here, they're in the same boat. I just talked about them like, hey, these are new believers. They say they follow Jesus. They say this is where the heart is. This is what they believe. But on the flip side of that, their actions are very different than what they say. Their actions are different than what they believe. And you and I can look at this passage. We can look at this event and the life of the early church, and we can look at Ananias and Sapphira, and here's what we can say to ourselves. We're like, you know what? They probably deserved it, right? I mean, look what they did. They, they, were, they were lying to the church, and they were lying to the Holy Spirit, and they were lying to God, and Sapphira had a chance to, you know, repent. It's like, hey, I didn't do this. And so maybe in our own minds, we're like, you, you know what? Maybe, maybe they deserved what they got. If they deserved what they got, then you and I, we get to experience a lot of grace in our own lives then, right? We're not any different. And for too many of us, we say, hey, this is what I believe. This is what's important to me. I'm here to follow Jesus. But then we look at our actions, and our actions are different than what we say we believe. Our actions are different than the words that we use. And, and it's like that we just feel like we're, we're just pulled in these different directions. And sometimes we're not quite sure where to go because there's this following Jesus piece. And then there's this heart piece of us and what we desire. And we're, we're trying to figure it out. Uh, sort of an example of this is let's say you're a dog. Okay. I uh, know we got a lot of dog people here, thankfully. Hopefully not too many cat people because cats are from Satan. But um, we've got, we're just going to be dogs. The cat, if you say no, you need to leave this church right now. You're excommunicated. <laughs> Executive decision. All right. Anyway, let's just picture that we're all dogs, right? And so we're all dogs, and the day's a beautiful day, and your master's like, hey, I'm going to take you for a walk in the park, and you're really excited about this. You're jumping and all that kind of stuff. And uh, let's say you've got this connection with your master, right? Your master you know, rubs your back all the time and you know, lets you lick their face and eat food out of their mouth, whatever your relationship is with your dog. So I'm a little weird. But anyway, here you got your takes a leash and hooks it to the collar too. And so now you have your master who's got their leash on you, and then you've got this stranger with their leash on you. Now there's probably going to be a fight at some point in time, but let's just say we don't get to the fighting part yet. 
your master's pulling you one way, this other person, the stranger's pulling you somewhere else, and as a dog, you're like, which way am I supposed to go? Right? That's kind of the way that we are when it comes to following Jesus. We're like, hey, you know, Jesus is my master. Jesus is who I follow. Jesus is who I believe in. I'm going to be the, the best follower of Jesus I can be. And yet there are these things that kind of like keep pulling us in another direction. And we're not quite sure which way are we supposed to go. Because our desires and our hearts are somewhere else. Like that's the deal with Ananias and Sapphira. This is what they're struggling with. They're like, hey, we want to follow Jesus. We want to be the best followers of Jesus we can be. This is what we believe. This is what we're going to do. And yet they were being pulled in another direction. They were being pulled for what they wanted, what they desired. Even Peter tells Ananias, he's like, hey, Satan's trying to mess with your life. And look what you've done because of that. Our desires, many times, of our hearts take over of us actually following Jesus. Now, where does this come into play for Ananias and Sapphira? Let's go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 36. It says, For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Here we meet this guy named Barnabas. Uh, we find him throughout the New Testament. We find him in uh, some other parts of, of um, Acts. We find him in the writings of, of Pete, or excuse me, of Paul. And um, Barnabas is kind of one of those guys you love to hate because, I mean, for me, he's always in the right place at the right time, the right moment. He always has the right amount of love. Like he's, he's just this person that you look at and you're like, man, I wish I could be more like you because the reason is pretty simple. He is fully following Jesus. And he knows that's what he's supposed to, be, to do. And not only that, but he is fully filled with the Holy Spirit. And so whatever the Holy Spirit is leading him to do, that is what Barnabas is going to do. And so as we read about Barnabas throughout the New Testament, that's why he's so respected and appreciated. It's why he's so well-known and a leader. It's why he gets this nickname. I mean, his real name is Joseph, but he gets this nickname from the, apostle, the apostles, son of encouragement. Why? Because he's an incredible encourager to so many people. But the question is, why, why does Luke, who's writing this, put this part of the story of Barnabas here and then follow it up with Ananias and Sapphira? Because Luke wants to remind us that we're not too far off from being Ananias and Sapphira. That the struggle that they face there is a struggle that you and I can face in our own life. Now, what was their struggle? Again, it was their heart's desire. They were being pulled away from being who God created them to be. Now, for them, I think it was recognition. Like, based on where these two stories line up and what we see happening here, I, I think they're looking for recognition in this community for what they did because think about what would have happened as Barnabas comes back and is like I wish I could be more like Barnabas and then we have Ananias and Sapphira and they jump in and I truly believe this is the reason that they're struggling because they want that same recognition too for example think about here let's just assume somebody in this church decided to sell their property right you sold your home here and um and then you're like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this to the journey, to, to use how it wants to, to use it. Can you imagine the conversations that would start? Can you believe 
that they did that? Can you believe they sold their property and they gave all the proceeds to the journey and how the journey's using that? I mean, people start talking, right? I mean, it'd just be this incredible, incredible, amazing miracle. And you too, you can be that person. If you want to do that, we don't have a problem with that at all. <laughs> you don't have to set the proceeds at our feet. We don't need that, okay? Check, money order, Venmo, whatever you want to do, it's totally fine. But it would be, it'd be incredible, right? Because that's not the norm. And what is happening here in this early church, it's not the norm. But people like Barnabas are like, this is what I'm called to do. This is who I am. And this recognition is coming his way. And Ananias and Sapphira, they're like, we want that too. Like, we want people talking about us. We want people to respect us. We, we want people to acknowledge what we have done. And so they fall into this trap of following their desires and following, following their hearts. And Peter says, what you're doing actually is lying to the Holy Spirit. What you're doing actually is you're lying to God. And so the story of Ananias and Sapphira, the events of their life are a reminder of where their hearts were and the consequences from those decisions that they made. How can you and I make sure that our hearts are in the right place? Well, this is truly where the Holy Spirit comes into play. This is why the Holy Spirit is so important to us because like we know our heart's desires, right? And how often are the desires of our heart different than the desires that God has for us? Probably way, way too often. And so we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and by the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and I hope you take something from today, but this, this message truly is for those of us who follow Jesus, that in our own lives, that when those desires come for our hearts to be pulled in a different direction than what God has intended, that we can understand the Holy Spirit is there to be beside us, to lead us, and, and to guide us. John when he writes uh, the Gospel of John, when he's writing 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, he uses this Greek term, and the Greek term is parakletos. Um, some of you, if you kind of do deep theological drive, dives into... the Holy Spirit. Now this paraclete was basically a uh, first century, uh, it was part of the Greek culture. It was basically your family attorney. And so if you had some issue, you had something come up, you had a problem, this attorney would jump. Then we have this paraclete, right? We've got the Holy Spirit that's, that's not only in us, but is walking alongside us to be our guide, to be our helper, to be our advocate, to be our comforter, to be our counselor. But that's the struggle for us because too often it's our heart's desires that take us away from fully following what God intends for you and me. See, I think we kind of forget that our, our bodies, uh, our body and our, our soul are intertwined. We, we, we kind of have these moments where our heart's desires take over. And, and let's, I mean, truthfully, it's, it's our body's desires. It's, it's where our body wants to go. And it's not where the soul wants to go. But but our actions and words, they should mesh together and, and whatever is deep inside of us is going to come out into who we are in our actions, right? I love what Benedict Spinoza, a Jewish philosopher, once wrote. 
He said, human beings have the same dual character in one being. We are physical bodies, but we are also our souls, and these are not two different people. They are one and the same persons. It is as if, as if, as an ancient Jewish teaching had it, the body is the soul in outward form. Again, it goes back to what we've been talking about. Whoever we are on the inside, wherever our heart is, whatever the things are that we desire in our life, that's going to come out in the actions that we take. It goes back to what Willard said, but their actions will be in terms of what they actually believe. What do you actually believe? What are the desires of your heart? Because whatever those desires are, if they're not for God, if they're not for following Jesus, even though we say we believe this, even though we say this is the life we want to live, we're going to see that our actions will be different. Even Paul talks about this in Titus 1.16. He says, such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. We can claim we know God. We can claim that we follow Jesus, but the way that we live our life can be very different than what we claim we believe. That our heart is somewhere else. Our desires are in something else. And here in these events today, we get to see an example of each one of these. We get to see Ananias and Sapphira who say, hey, this is what we believe and this is who we are and this is the the Jesus we're going to follow. But their actions didn't connect with their beliefs and there were consequences for it. But then we have Barnabas over here, and Barnabas is like, hey, this is who I believe in. This is what I believe. I'm trying to be the best follower of Jesus I can be. And what does Barnabas do? Barnabas listens to the Holy Spirit in his life. And he doesn't get pulled away from following Jesus and doing what the Spirit's leading him to do. No, what what he believes are the actions that he takes in his life. For you and I, how do we make sure that we're not over here with Ananias and Sapphira? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I said earlier, it happens. Even if we're trying to follow Jesus the best we can, we we many times can get over here to where the desires of our heart are are taken over where God has called us to be. And it's this this tension that we've got to kind of work through. But how can we move towards to, to truly being the followers God has intended for us to be? Through listening to the Holy Spirit. Well, a couple of things. One, I think we take on that image of, of the paraclete that John talks about in our own life. Like we understand that the Holy Spirit is present to be our comforter, to be our advocate, to be our helper, to be our counselor, to be our guide. Like we forget about the power of the Holy Spirit. We're like, hey, I'm just going to follow Jesus. This is going to be great. Well, you know what? You need something else that's going to help you do that. And that's through this paraclete. That's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're for a follower of Jesus. Maybe that's the reminder you need today. But then the other thing I would say, and, and I don't like doing next steps back to back, the same ones, but I just think these are, are, are too helpful for us. Uh, you know, as we finish up this series, as we kind of contemplate the Holy Spirit's work in our own lives. Uh, and so I'm going to throw these back up here today. Uh, the first one is spend time in Scripture. You don't understand how much stuff you miss when you don't read Scripture. You don't understand how powerful the Holy Spirit is. You don't understand how the Holy Spirit speaks to us as we spend time in Scripture. And so if maybe you don't read Scripture, here's the deal. Just just read a verse a day. Go to Proverbs. There's a great place to start. Just read a verse a day. Read James. That's a great place to start. Just read a verse a day. Spend some time in Scripture. 
For others of you, read a whole chapter, a whole book, whatever it is you do every day, but just take time to, to spend the scripture. Spend time in prayer. Like, ask God, like, God, I need your spirit to lead me. I've got this going on. This is happening. I'm feeling this pull in this direction. You know, this stranger is pulling my leash and going this other way. And, you know, you're saying, hey, this is the direction you need to go. Help me, guide me. And I promise you the Holy Spirit is going to be there to help lead you. Now, you still got to make decisions, but the Holy Spirit will be there. The other thing I would say, as we see here, is to get wise counsel. Here's the best way to understand wise counsel for you. Don't look for people like Ananias and Sapphira, okay? So if you see somebody and you're like, hey, I follow Jesus, I believe in Jesus, and then you watch their actions, you're like, eh, those things don't actually connect very well. You probably need to stay away from that person seeking out wise counsel. Find the Barnabases in your life, the people that are following Jesus, and you see that because this is what they say they believe, and their actions connect with what they believe. Those are the people you seek that wise counsel from. And then lastly, spend time in quiet. I told you last week this is something I struggle with and I'm trying to implement in my own life. Just take some time to sit. Get rid of all the distractions that are around you. Because we have so many in our life. Put your phone away, your computer, magazines, even set your Bible down and just sit. Be quiet. Listen to the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, I'm going to tell you what, this is really hard to do. And I'm going to give you a second, third, 500 chances and the decisions that we make. But also, at some point, there's going to be consequences. May you and I be more like Barnabas, doing all we can to follow Jesus. As we listen to the Spirit in our life, moving us in the direction God has called us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the Spirit. And God, let's be honest, many of us, we don't fully understand it and grasp it. And we get the God peace. We get the Jesus peace. But the Holy Spirit peace seems to, we seem to miss it. And, and yet, God, that's where your power is put into us in our lives so that we can be better at following Christ, so that we can be more like Barnabas and less like Ananias and Sapphira. But God, we know too often we're like Ananias and Sapphira. But because of Christ, we have a second chance. May we hold on to that promise. May we hold on to that hope. May we live our lives filled, engulfed by the Spirit in our life, leading us to be better followers of Jesus. Why? Well, it goes back to the Jesus mission we talked about in Acts 1. So the more and more people can know who you truly are. And God, as Christians, too often we are painting a bleak, ugly picture for too many people. May your Spirit move us and change us in ways that people can't question our faith can't question us following Christ because our beliefs and our actions, our grace, our mercy, our love is so overflowing that they say, I want some of that too. May we be that church. May we be those people. In Jesus' name, amen.